Hello and welcome to the Session Recall Podcast. Um, today, on today's episode, what we want to talk about is just think talking about like the different stages to production. So we're thinking about talking about was that a fly? <laughs> it was a fly, yeah. <laughs> flew into the camera. That's my mate. He's been here all day with me. <laughs> so just talking about like different stages of production and listing them out. How would you describe the stages to recording a song? Initial, the initial idea of writing, so the process you go through, what, however you do that to write a song. Then demoing the track. Not everybody wants to do demos. To some people, the demo is them sitting and playing it on a piano or an acoustic guitar, or the band getting into a rehearsal room, not wanting to record it as a demo because of demoitis and things like that, and wanting not wanting to kind of get too attached to something. But I would say doing a demo of it is a, is a good idea, so that you can uh, work on the song a bit more. And then you go into pre-production, how you're going to record it in a studio, what you're going to need to do on it, you know, all the different elements to the track. I I suppose possibly before that, you're looking at what studio you're going to go to and who's going to produce and engineer it. Um, You might have even... So research. Yeah, you might have even done that before you started writing the songs. Or, you know, or you've written the songs and as you're writing, you start to think, well, this is going to really suit that studio and that producer. Oh, we really worked like him with so-and-so. I think this would be great because it's more live instruments or whatever. Yeah, so then we go into pre-production and then production in the studio. So, yeah, research is a big part of it as well, I think. When you're, mm. you know, It's not always about the, the music elements to it. It's about how are we going to get this track to sound the best it can for whatever budget you've got. Yeah, mm. assembling the process. Is the same person going to mix it? I guess you should think about all of that before before you start booking studios really and you know yeah. when you're working out your budget you need planning you need budgets yeah because i think um one of the things that we notice well i've noticed quite a bit is sometimes um, a lot of bands think about okay we've got x amount of money and it all goes in towards like the recording process and okay right we've got this we've got this amount of money and we want to spend this on recording sometimes what happens is um, when we're talking to bands in the studio they go well what what you go what's your plan after the recording process what do you want to do next so is that's oh, we was hoping you would help us with that nick and john <laughs> and so i think i think one of the things especially when we think about planning for recording us i think is when you're planning is thinking about how can we take every single stage into account and go right we're going to spend a bit of money on recording we're going to spend a bit of time obviously songwriting practicing and rehearsing um obviously you've mentioned a little bit about pre-production what would you say for like um, for, for a new artist thinking about releasing the tracks would that differ from like more established acts when it comes to promoting their music or their work yeah it would be because i think established artists have have a focus on existing fan bases whereas a new artist doesn't have that existing fan base so they have to build that so a lot of focus is building that fan base first of all whereas i think when you're established artists you mm. you want to build a new fan base but you also want to really sell to your existing fan base because they're the people who like the band and are going to buy what you're putting out so it is a slightly different approach the kind of platforms are the same you want to get to radio you want to get on goods playlists get radio play but obviously an established act might be going for national radio whereas a new act might concentrate on regional radio to start with so the elements are the same but the approach is slightly different and it is slightly different for every artist no matter how established you are anyway every campaign should be a bespoke campaign Mm. for that kind of artist i suppose like one of the benefits i think one thing i try to tell bands is okay what's your goal what do you want to get out of this at the start of the set of the process so we're thinking about like the recording thing like we want to go into the studio so but what do you want to do at the end of it one of the bands we had in recently i said well where do you see yourself in about a year's time oh, i don't know maybe some gigs yeah. it's like well 
try and be a bit more ambitious. Yeah. You can be a bit. Yeah, you get, you do. You get some who just say, "Oh, we'd like to get some bigger shows," and that's maybe they're not spending too much on recording. They're getting some better quality music together so they can send to promoters, get on some support slots, or get on an event like a this feeling event or something like that. So, and that's literally it. Let's get into the studio. Let's not spend too much money. Let's not make an album. Let's just do two or three tracks, and we use it because we get better gigs. We do more better gigs. We get build our fan base. When they just say, "Oh, you know, maybe get some more gigs," yeah, you need to be a bit more ambitious than that but i think if that's your plan that's your goal we want to be playing to 200 people in our local area whatever building that fan base and we need some better tracks to get on those bills then that's a plan that's a good plan but i think saying oh yeah i don't really know you know we just maybe get yeah. some gigs this year yes you've got to be a bit more ambitious yeah. timings are important i like putting a business plan together for all of this is a really good move obviously that's something that we do 18 month business plan together for people because you need to think as well as all the musical stuff that's going on you need to think well when are you going to release this when is a good time to release it when have you got some good shows coming up that it'd be good to release the first single around that show because you're going to be supporting a band who's maybe playing to 1500 people or something or you're on a festival and then so once you know that that's the date this is going to be released when does it need to be finished by when do the promotions people need it how it always takes longer than you think Oh, we're going to go in the studio, bash it out. The yeah. mix will be done. Well, no, because you know, three weeks later, you're still arguing over the snare drum sound. So, and then promotion campaigns can't always start. And you might think they want two weeks, and they actually want six weeks promotion before it, depending on what you're spending. So, I think having that timeline, which is basically yeah. a business plan, is really important at the beginning as well. So you know when you're going, when you're going to be finished. Some people like start booking the studio, and they haven't even written the songs yet. Turning up to the studio without songs will probably was probably all right back in like the seventies, where budgets were much higher, uh, you had a much longer period of time, and you could allow for that time to kind of be creative in the studio. But I think I suppose that's where like if we go back to the stages, the the having the ideas, the song really comes in like the songwriting and the demo stage, and, like the practicing stage. Every like everyone works differently, don't they? When it comes to like songwriting. Yeah. Um, I know bands where like you've got a single focus point focus where like the lead singer or someone will go right I've got the songs this is the chord structure and he shows everyone else and then there's other ones where everyone gets in the room together and they just jam it out and gets ideas the band you in Dragonflies what was the way that you guys worked for songwriting so I wrote I wrote all the material so I would always be walking around I'd have my acoustic guitar with me all the time I'd come up with yeah. ideas sometimes it would it was the riff or the, or the chords would come first and sometimes I had a little lyric book so I was always writing things down observations or that was an interesting story so sometimes it was the lyrics that came first um, and I would sit and write and I had tons of songs yeah, yeah. and I was always writing songs and then I would start to condense them into yeah let's let's do that one let's work on that one and then I'd take them into the rehearsal room play them to the guys and they would come up with their bits and try this and try that and we'd pull the arrangement about a bit and then they'd say I'm not really feeling that song or whatever but the chorus is great and then we might steal a verse from one song and a chorus from another song and we'd kind of do all that in a studio together which is I see that as kind of songwriting and pre-production really so we would do all that and then I would record the track in our rehearsal room just on a back then on a four track on my Tascam. Yeah, we'd record yeah. that so we had a demo of it and everyone could start learning and I could start working on harmony parts for backing vocals because I'd be doing all the backing vocals. Um, like Johnny could really learn vocal melodies and timing and then me and him might get together with an acoustic guitar and mess around with the timing a little bit. So that was kind yeah. of how we did it most of the time, but other times, because we had a lot of studio time, we had our own studio as well after it, we, would, and we had a lot of studio time in Rockfield because we were signed to the Rockfield label. So I guess when we had all that studio time, we started to write in the studio. 
but they were still ideas that I'd came up with yeah. outside of the studio, but I would bring them in in their raw form, just an acoustic and a vocal. And then we would build them and set up and arrange them, do the pre-production and record them all at the same time then. But we had a luxury. We had the studio there and we had plenty of studio time. But when we didn't, yeah, it was getting as much of it done so we could then go in and just bash it out. Everybody knew their parts. Everybody had rehearsed. We rehearsed the songs. We might even do a few of the new ones at some gigs as well just to get feel for them at the live shows things changed in the studio we all had strong ideas in that band and obviously being a producer i would be like no we need to try this we need to try that i would even start to think about where the drums should be what guitar amps i was going to use what and a lot of bands don't do that i just do that because it comes natural um so i was kind of doing writing pre-production demos all in that we was always ready the time we would go to the studio unless of course we had loads of studio time to write but that was more like booking a studio to write as opposed to booking a studio to record and bands would go there and they'd spend a month and that was pre-production but it was kind of writing and pre-production and then they'd do that for a month before they yeah. came to Rockfield so they were really prepared and they'd still come to Rockfield for like six weeks but they'd done a month of writing beforehand but yeah that's that luxury and now yeah. bands can't really afford to start writing when they get to the studio the, the, the time's just not there to do it no, but I think one of the things, obviously, like the luxury might have gone in terms, obviously, the time. But I think, in a way, like the technology's got a lot more accessible. One of the things that I think what I've said to bands as well is like just record your practices. You use your phone because the phone, the camp, like the mic on the phone's great, and it'll pick up everything that you kind of need to hear it. So if you can just balance the recordings in the practice room, say like Music Box in Cardiff or like Pirate Studios anywhere, like if the room's treated and like everything, you can kind of hear everything pretty well. As long as it's not too loud, like and you don't end up with like just white noise that can be good enough to send us demos yeah, yeah. i think one of the things i think people worry about is that they think right for my demos i'm going to produce everything at home i'm going to record it in logic or sonar or pro tools it doesn't always need to be that and we i, I know that there's a lot of musicians where the technical side or the you know the computer side of things they may not be up to speed on so just using your phone and recording a demo and just having everyone play together can be just as important and yeah. like sometimes like some of the best songs have actually we've recorded have been demos and one of the things i think the benefits from doing that is you don't get too attached to parts or structures or sounds and stuff. So you, you've mentioned, you touched on a little bit already about like pre-production. Is pre-production always vital? Not always vital. Like bands like Thunder, it's it's all done, you know. They, it's written, it's demoed. There's no point going in and doing pre-production. The pre-production has been done by Luke yeah. in his own studio writing. And there's other bands that just haven't got the budget for it and you have to decide, have we got budget for pre-production or do we need to use that budget for recording? Otherwise, there's just not enough time. And you do pre-production, so how I yeah. would do that then is I would get the band set up, get the sounds, would have heard a demo, and then sort of know what kind of sounds I want to go for. And then we would do pre-production. I would get them to run through the song. And over the first few run-throughs, I would be changing tempos. Yeah. maybe saying let's try this let's cut that bit out or you need to add this in here change that chord for that chord getting the drummer to play less cymbals getting the drummer to do less fills getting the drummer to play with a bit more dynamics getting the drummer to um, not go too too mental too soon <laughs> getting the drummer to maybe get rid of some bass drums getting the drummer to maybe get yeah, yeah it's a lot of work with the drums <laughs> It's one of those things, though, isn't it? Like the drums become the foundation of like it's normally where you, it's normally the main starting point, isn't it? And like you've got to get a solid foundation to the song. And if the drums are wrong, it can throw everything off. Time if they're in a rehearsal room and it's all very loud and they, no one can really hear themselves, 
they don't really hear that the bass drums maybe not yeah. falling in the right place or that they're playing too much bass. Nobody's really heard that until you're in a studio and you're like, oh yeah, that bass drum shouldn't fall yeah. there or there's too many bass drums going on or why could we should have tried this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and making sure there's the dynamics, whether you're going to go to the crash cymbal for every chorus. I mean, that's in a rehearsal when everything's loud and everyone's competing, that's fine. But in a studio environment, it doesn't necessarily need to do that because there's other things that you can use for the dynamics and doesn't have to fight so much. So, yeah, I'm doing all of that while we're recording. Naturally, if I hear something, then we, we work on it. doesn't always... You try it. You don't know if it's going to work out, and you try it. And you're not saying how you say it, it should go. It has to be the way it goes. It's a democracy, so everyone kind of gets to try it and hear it in the studio maybe come into the control listen back and if everyone else doesn't agree and doesn't like it then we don't go with it if we're split 50 50 yeah. then we get the final say because someone has to always you'd be there going around in circles forever but yeah we're going back to the demos yeah like you say sometimes on a phone is is enough because we're only listening for the song and the arrangement really and the melodies and the hooks and when we get these demos that are done by maybe bedroom producers no i'm not saying that they're not good producers or good bedroom producers recorded all the demos at home the drums are programmed everything's there and it's all pristine and it's all and then you're saying oh how long did it take you to like put that together and they're like oh about three weeks and then you know i spent a couple of weeks mixing it and you're like right well you spent five weeks on the demo and then you've booked half a day to record it in a studio and like although by recording the demo they've ironed out they've done the pre-production so a lot of the parts are right and the arrangements right and we know what guitar sound and everybody knows what they're going to play which speeds the whole process up you're trying to compete with something that's taken five weeks in five hours and it's hard sometimes to kind of match the sounds and you know you get all this thing that oh the snare doesn't quite punch as much as on the demo kind of thing it's like well you spent you spent two weeks mixing it on the demo now you want to spend 20 minutes on the drum sound and you know it's not always magic like that um, so yeah, those demo the demo thing, yeah, can be a curse sometimes as well as a lot of help. Yeah, because sometimes when the demos do work, you've got arrangements like mapped out, or like there's like a tempo map done ready to go, which you can import using MIDI, or like they've got like pads or something which can just be dropped in. You go right, just export that out for me, and I'll use that. There's no point wasting time, so it can be great for time saving. Because I came up maybe like the next stage with my band and stuff what we used to do is like i used to record the demos at home but i was very aware that like i wasn't great at what i was doing but it was enough to go right here's the guide tracks here's the tempos if like if there are any changes i go right the chorus is two bpm faster the the verse is maybe one bpm slower and then here's like we, we got a slowdown at the end but it was really just to save time with like guide tracks because i couldn't be bothered recording because there's been loads of times in the past where what we were recording, what we thought we practiced, we ended up being completely different in the studio. So it was like trying to avoid that. So it was just thinking about like a time-saving yeah. element. I suppose what we've really covered so far is that like we talked a little bit about songwriting, getting the ideas and stuff, talked about demos and like the pre-production stage. One of the things I remember um, working with Gil Norton, I, we did like the, the band from Liverpool and Ebervale. I think we had three days in total. And the first day was just dedicated to pre-production. It was right, we'll get all the sounds up as you said get all the recordings so we like the sound checking and stuff and then what what he always does is he always just makes sure like even if it's like a short session it's like he'll sit in the room with the band and everyone plays live together and he listens to the song yeah and then he'll make suggestions about what he thinks should change and everything yeah. so like it's having that communication yeah i like to go in the room as well i think it's just better isn't it like when you're in the room and that's why i quite like an actual pre-production session where you're not in a control room and the band are in a studio maybe you're just in a rehearsal room it's communication it's yeah. It's immediate because even when we're in the studio, you've seen me 
Yeah, you don't have to press a button. Yeah, we're in the studio, and what I tend to do is, even though I could talk to them through the talkback, I tend to run into the studio and talk to them about the ideas. Come on, Ron. Ron's getting down now, Ron. He's had enough. He's had enough talking pre-production, yeah. you, Ron? There's sometimes, I suppose, like there's three stages to recording that we can kind of talk about, which is recording, mixing, and mastering. Yeah. Can they all happen in one session, or do you like to like switch stuff up? They or can. How do you normally approach yeah, this? Yeah, they can. And obviously we do. If bands only coming in for, you know, they've got four days off work or whatever, and they're doing a couple of songs, and they want to be there for the mixes, and there's no budget for mastering. Then yeah, of course we have done that many a time, haven't we? I would prefer not to. I prefer to yeah. record, and then I prefer to mix by myself actually, and have a, maybe a week or few days in between the recording process just to step away from it. Because yeah. I don't mind then if the band come in on the last day of mixing and we go through it or towards the end. But all the kind of when I'm doing the editing and the working on effects bands soon get really bored when you listen to a vocal non-stop over and over yeah. and they all start talking and they're all it's kind of you can't concentrate and everyone's shouting oh yeah i'm not happy that should be louder and it's like you haven't even got to that yet you know and there's all these suggestions coming when you haven't even got to that point so it's easier to get even when the bands are there for the entire yeah. mix session it's nice to kick them out for say we're doing i mean a luxury of one mix a day it's nice to kick the band out or tell yeah. them if you're in rockford or whatever then stay in go and do whatever you want stay in the accommodation and bring them in later on when you're ready to play it back to them yeah you mentioned about that like the beta band and you said like they'd go off and they come back in at the end and make a couple of tweaks to just leave yeah, you to it yeah because there was a lot of stuff to sort out and a lot of housekeeping as we, as we call it so there was a lot of that to go on and does bands need to sit through that or if you yeah. now if you're tuning vocals and things like that do they need to hear that going over and over and um or you might still be doing yeah. a bit of comping at that point in the mix time thing. they don't need to hear any of that really i mean there's certain people who artists who are yeah. producing it with you and they want to mix with you and they know what they're doing so they're there for the whole mix process really even then they probably wouldn't stay if you're editing they just let you get on with the editing and then they'd come back when that's done because it's so boring if you're not you're not involved in it yeah i would prefer to have a separate mix session and then i would prefer to master it or send it off for mastering afterwards as well i'd prefer yeah. to split the sessions up in terms of um mastering how would you describe what what is the what is happening in the mastering nobody process? knows john it's a dark art it's magic nobody knows all we can all we can do <laughs> is make dark. something up and hope that that's right <laughs> <laughs> You send it to a person, he has a button, and he presses it, and yes, it becomes mastered. That's what, that's what I know. You don't even know if that person's real anymore. Back in the day, in when I was in my youth, when I yeah. was able to attend mastering, when they would fly you to New York for mastering, back in those days, so you would attend, you'd take the tapes oh. with you, you knew that yeah. person was, was there, they existed. Well, now you have no idea if that person's mastering it, if that person exists, who's actually mastering it, who is mastering it? Is it them? Is it, or is it, you know, or is it the new, the new guy who just started last week? Who's, who's mastering it? No. So the mastering process, really important part. I like to send, like most of my bigger productions go off to, um, for mastering, usually with Pete Mayer, who's amazing, but yeah, we use other, other guys as well, but mainly Pete. So sometimes we may be too heavily involved in a project that we don't want to master it. That fresh set of ears, someone like Pete, who can just instantly hear what's wrong with the mix or what's, what it needs and what it doesn't need affirmation that it's all it's all as it should be you know so nice sometimes it's nice to send it away and not have that responsibility yeah. i kind of see the two two elements for me of mastering is the musical side of it where you're listening to it and going oh this could do with punching a bit more it needs to i don't know hit harder or it's really bright or there's some really annoying frequencies or there's some sub stuff that doesn't need to be in there it's, you know, it's a bit muddy so sometimes it's a bit fault finding you're kind of fixing things other times there's nothing wrong with the mix it sounds great so then you 
you're kind of not really doing anything musically then you're going into the technical aspect of it what what level is the mix at what does it need to yeah. be at all the codes the coding on there the labeling um, the pq sheet all that stuff so there's like two elements to it, the musical side and then the technical housekeeping mm. side of it piling the yeah. songs so sometimes there's a lot of stuff to do uh, we'll master stuff and sometimes you'll spend the whole time fixing something musically making it better um, and fixing the problems within the mix and then you'll do all the stuff that you need to do the compiling putting it in order making sure the gaps are right making sure it's labeled the codes are in there creating the uh, um, ddp master and other yeah. times we're doing very little musically and literally just compiling a DD, uh, DDP and making sure that info is correct, making sure you've got all the right info or the labeling's correct. So for an album, obviously that side of it takes a, a, a lot longer, compiling it, getting the gaps right, making sure the flow of the album is right, um, the levels between the tracks. So there's, there's a musical aspect yeah. and there's that technical aspect. So I don't know, like your preferred method, whether you do it, tra you, whether you're kind of mix those two or whether you do all the music side of things and then do the kind of technical side of it afterwards the way i kind of describe it to people is mixing is like you look at one song at a time and you're bringing like say you've got like 40 50 60 tr individual tracks and you're bringing them down to a stereo file um, the mastering stage is like you go in right here's the 10 mixes and we're trying to make that one co coherent um body yeah. of work um, so you're trying to make sure they're all the same similar loudness level. And I think Bob Katz in his book says in mastering, like the the, the goal for mastering is that the listener doesn't have to re reach for the volume knob and turn yeah. things up or down. And that's part of it. And that's like, yeah, the, the dark art is like, it's obviously they're focusing on the stereo image. I'm oh, sorry, the stereo, the yeah. musical file and making sure everything's kind of yeah. consistent. And so you're not like, and it's almost like quality control, isn't it? Where yeah. like it's, it's quite nice, as you say, sending stuff to P or someone else to pick up on stuff that you might have missed out on and go, oh yeah, there's a, there's a build up in this song in like 220 because you're playing in the key yeah. of C and it's A yeah. minor or something. Or there's a build up of a certain frequency and they can kind of fix that because they're yeah. fresh to it. Yeah, and they have that, you know, a master studio is more equipped to deal with those issues than, than a mix studio or recording studio. You know, they have they have the tools to, yeah. the, the, the monitoring, the ears, the tools, the, the outboard to deal with that. You know, if you go into a decent mastering place, they've got, amazing mm. compressors amazing eqs um mastering software they're using so yeah you hope you're not trying to fix a mix but sometimes the mix is right but the band have decided last minute that the vocal needs to pop out a bit more and all that can be done on mastering you know when you're using the stereo width and you can eq it in there and bring up the center things like that or maybe it's the guitars need to pump a bit more and they're in stereo so that's nice need you can bring up the sides there's, there's things you can do um, yeah. Obviously, in the mix, that's a lot easier because you, you've got everything, as you say, stemmed out. So it's um, it's a lot easier to do. But that st kind of stuff still can yeah. be done in mastering. But we're hoping not to do that. We're hoping to get a nice balanced mix that we're just checking the overall frequencies are kind of where where they should be. You know, does it does it hit where it needs to hit? That kind of thing. And then, like you say, making it sound uniform. So it's a body of work. Sometimes though, with that, it's a collection of singles. You're still trying to get the levels the same on the singles, but they're not going to be on ever. They're never going yeah. to be on the same CD or anything. But they might be on the same playlist, no. obviously. So there'll be one after another. So you still need to kind of make them uniform. Yeah. Um, but an album, I always like to switch between tracks, go back and forth after I've mastered them, and go back and go and just kind of get a feel for how the overall album's sounding, um, and then. When you're doing gaps, you're yeah. listening to things like tempos so that you get the gaps right, whether it's a fast song coming next or a slow song coming next, and whether you've had a big epic track that you just need that little extra breather before you hit the next one. 
um, or whether it needs to come straight in and smack yeah. you in the face straight away. Um, but obviously, as we know, John, all this is just made up stuff because yeah. no one really knows what it is. There is a whole stage, I think, now, like, especially with like like streaming platforms, isn't it, where like you don't really see that end of the work where like you're listening to the end of the song and the start of the next one, and then you're thinking, right, when's the when's the next song starting? And like with the CDs, you see a countdown, yeah. didn't you? Um, like the the minus one, minus minus two, minus one. It might always be different. That was something that like I think does get lost a little bit now. People don't really don't. think about it. But yeah. I remember like going when I used to go ten mastering. It, it was one of the things that we do. Is like right, when do we think it's going to be? And everyone like yeah. kind you of tap, tap yeah. or like say. No. I love all that, and I still do that when I do albums. Even though, like you say, it's not necessarily going to be listened to as a body of work. And people have they can change the settings of how they listen to music, where the tracks fade in and out, whether they set a two second gap themselves. So all your little work into making sure those gaps are right, really, a lot of the time have no, <laughs> you know, have no benefit at all, the work you've put into that, unless someone's sitting there listening to an entire album. But yeah, I like, I like putting work into that, because you never yeah. know when it's going to end up on a CD, and um, obviously if you're doing a DDP master, you want that to be, want that to be right. I like to listen to the whole album. You know, that'd be right, yeah. How annoying is the drill, that, how annoying is my drill that's just started, the man over there? I think he's doing hedges. It's just, yeah, it's there, but it's... It's, na- it's natural, it's normal, though, isn't it's it? There, it's there, it's outside, it's normal. Just chilling, yeah. John, we are sat outside, <laughs> having, a, having a squash, having yeah, a blackcurrant squash. A, is that what it is? Blackcurrant squash, not snake no, it's not snake black, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, just to recap, like, what we've really kind of covered today, very briefly, I suppose, like, we looked at songwriting, like, the stages of, is we starting off with songwriting, demos talked a little bit about like um in that stage researching the studios you want to go to pre-production that could happen before the session and getting stuff prepared talked a little bit about recording um mixing and then mastering and i suppose the final section i really want to like cover we talked a little bit at the start was just about releasing and promotion this is something i think that people as we mentioned earlier is like people sometimes overlook i've definitely had a couple of bands where they've recorded like five or six songs and they've released everything in one go. And I remember a band did something similar. They release a song a week for 10 weeks. And it's like, great, what happens now? When you're working with bands, what do you what do you advise bands? Like, What do you try to tell them to kind of help them here? Well, you need to look at the band, look at their fan base, look at how many songs have they got, what's their goals. And it's really putting a bespoke business plan together for that. I mean, you wouldn't go into any other business that you're investing money into and not kind of have it mapped out and not create a business plan can look at it and go well it's just you know I'm an artist and it's all about the music and I don't care it can it can organically grow into whatever it does and that people used to be able to do that more because there was a full team behind them but now actually the bands are more often than not the team and they are the importance and they're in charge of all that so I think you have to have a plan and that's kind of individual that's where like we come in kind of looking at all these different aspects and going no this is how you should do it and we get asked this all the time don't we how do you think we should do this how do you to put in an actual plan together for an artist um, is something that we're, we're used to doing, is something that we, we, we do, and I think it's individual. I think, and now it's different to how it used to be because before we never had to worry about Spotify algorithms and how often you release tracks, because that all comes into play now. Because you, you need to release every so often on those platforms to kind of tap into um, to the growth that it creates, you know? Which we didn't have to worry about that when it was just CDs. It was like, how long does the radio plugger need? How long does the PR team need? When's our tour happening? So you need to look at things like this. If you've got gigs booked for November, then you've got to get some songs out before the tour and you've got to get something out after the tour. 
you, you need to you need to really map that. Obviously, things can change because you might get offered a really big tour that you didn't know you were going to get offered. So you might hold something back for that to promote on that tour. Get you know, we're going through picking which of the singles, releasing a couple of singles. How you know deciding on how many that's going to be, how often it's going to be, who's going to promote it, or whether it's the artist, how. how how that campaign is going to look on social media who's going to be in charge of it are you getting someone in is that the responsibility of someone in the band are you going to delegate that to each band member has their own role um, and then you release those singles and then you follow it up with the ep or the album depending on what you're doing obviously then you can book shows around that or you can tailor tailor that release to shows you've already got booked you know it's you might start getting radio play and doing really well so things things can change it's a business plan but it can change it's like well, we've earned some money from this radio play let's get a, a plugger in now for the next one who can to maybe take us to national radio get us bigger bigger stations yeah i just think it's just important to plan it and just come in and you know start to think about singles when you're when you're recording as well start to think about put, putting your plan together the songs that you think maybe might be the singles don't always end up being the singles after you've recorded them anyway yeah and sometimes it's like the song might present itself and then normally they like whoever you're in the studio with it's always good to get like gauge their opinion as well because bands always, i always find that like bands sometimes get attached to the newest song the newest song they've written oh this is the best one but sometimes it's like there might be another song that at the end just kind of presents itself like everything kind of comes together yeah and it just sounds great yeah. and it's like well, that's that's the one i, I suggest over the yeah. other one and sometimes it's like um, fans or like people that are like they might have a favorite song. I remember I remember a band I worked with. I said, "Well, um, we did that pre-production thing where we were like, right, we're going to set up and record." And I said, "Right, let's just play through all the songs so I can hear yeah. them." And then we went through them and said, "Okay, I think we got three of the songs. We got one more we're going to do, but I don't think the ones we've got there's this room for something else." And then one of them went, "Well, all our friends, all our fans like this song," and they played it. It was like, "Why haven't you done that yeah. one?" <laughs> yeah. that's like the yeah. best one that's the one that it's the always single. one of those oh we hate that song we've been playing it years you know and it's uh yeah we hate that one our new songs are much better and you're like no they're not that's that's, that's the one yeah that is sometimes i've seen it so many times as well like loads of people gone that's the song it's like why why have you why have you got rid of it and it's and to yeah. have that the new the latest song that they've written is their best song the new song that they've written is their best song all the time when bands say they have we have 20 songs but we know which 10 we're going to do i'd i quite like to hear the other 10 I like to hear all 20 because, yeah. you know, they need an objective view to it. Yeah, so then, yeah, like you're saying, then that might become a single out of nowhere. But budget, the, like the budget side of it, you have to figure out, are you going to do videos? Who's going to do the videos? You know, don't just have one single or one video ready to go. Have, have the next one ready to go. Because if you get some really good radio play on a single, you want the next one ready to go. You want the artwork done. You want it mixed. It's mastered. There's a videos done so that you can throw that out and capitalize on that. Um, promotion you've already had you might end up getting you know pulled onto a tv show last minute getting offered it and you've gone on you need a follow-up the radio will want a follow-up you know the people want a follow-up they want to buy into the band they want to develop with the band so yeah you need to make sure you've got all these things who's going to be doing the videos how much they're going to cost I think having the foundations, having a plan. I remember going like being to like loads of conferences and stuff. You talk to promoters, and one of the things they always say is that they're not really too worried about a press release. They're more interested in hearing about the band and what's their plan for the next year. Because all they want to see is they want to support a band who are yeah. coming up that they can then put on a higher billing next yeah. year. Yeah, the promoters like, want like, to. We, we yeah. see the like sometimes they go they go we see these as the headliner in a year's time or two years time. We want to see the ones, and it's like if you're if you're prepared, if you're driven, if you've got everything organised and you're really easy to get on with. Yeah 
then the likelihood is if you're low stress and the band like promoters are going to go yeah, yeah wicked pick them and producers at the state radio stations think the same as well we want to buy into the band they want you know obviously if it's a great song they'll play it but they want to know what's next what's what they're doing what you know they want to buy into the band like you say and the promoters want to do the same thing having that plan and having those target dates and those budgets because like you've gone through now you've done a couple of songs it's building nicely and then you've got no budget left to get a plugger in no budget left to promote it no budget for the video so you end up doing all yourselves and the one single then before the album gets released absolutely bombs does nothing doesn't build because you left nothing back for it so yeah trying to and it's hard sometimes to I mean, what, what you do, John, you know, when you've got a really small budget, do you make the best record you possibly can with all the money? Or do you make a record that's not quite as good as it could be because you didn't spend as much money on the recording and mixing and mastering because you saved some back for promoting it, you know? It's a, it's a, it is a tough one because you're compromising your art there for what you're going to do with your art. But I think you just have to figure out whether that's coming to some, someone like us and working out payment plans saying well we know we've got festivals in six months time so can we do this this and this and from those festivals we pay you x amount of money so we do payment plans for these artists and things or whether that's you know you have to go and get um some extra work in or or, or whatever or you do um a pledge campaign or not pledge anymore thank god you know whether you do whether you do a campaign to kind of um get it fun or you're doing doing pre-orders with your fan base i think you just have to bring all that into your business plan about how you can do it i think it is a tough one compromising that art to leave money for that so then try not to compromise the art and try and find other ways that you can raise the budget well i mean what's your thoughts on that Mm. it's a catch-22 isn't it one of the label managers i work with um in brighton he says like you're only ever as good like your first release has got to have an impact so you're only ever as good as your first release so if it means that you take a bit of time you don't i think there's there's a tendency of um, bands kind of rushing things out or like jumping ahead of the guns. I like, actually know if you if you take the time to go, this is a plan. This is what we're going to yeah. do. So, I, like a good example at the moment, I'd probably say would be like a band called Cardinal Black. Yeah, um, been working with them on demos for like two years, and they they finally came out and they had like the music video ready to go. They had the demos and stuff. They had an EP ready to go. So they had everything in place. And I suppose it's like don't rush, like releasing stuff, and it's making sure you've got everything in place. Yeah. And if that means it takes a couple of months or like six months to get everything, yeah, it's worth it. Um, that's that could be that could be far more important, yeah. And then if the budget does come into it, it's then like if we think about like bands like Burning Crows, where you've got each band member had had their own like assigned role, didn't they? Yeah. So like someone was in charge of touring, someone was in charge of social media, someone was in charge of the bookings. Um, so then it's thinking, okay, well what can each band member do that can help so there might be one person who's really good at design there might be some one yeah. person who's right you're just in charge of booking gigs and stuff yeah. and then someone else would be in charge of the social media and figuring out the campaigns yeah and that it is that helps keep momentum going isn't it defining those roles amongst you've got the staff there already if you if you can do it some people just can't do any of those things and they have no you know inclination to want to, to want to do any of that anyway well that's that's you know that's when you have to look at how are we going to do it then then that would be then thinking about right we just need to think about okay we need to get we need to get a team around ourselves and go right who do we need how can we get that to okay well this is what i'm strong at who can i get to help me with the next bits and pieces if it's just someone who goes right you need to do this at this point or here's here's a plan that you need to follow then that might be i mean really early on it might be something as simple as saying to the like we might say to the band don't do an album you've not really got 10 or 12 strong strong enough songs 
and you haven't really got the budget to do an album and then promote an album so do an EP do a four or five track EP because you've got four or five great songs you can spend a little bit longer recording them and yeah. getting them right and then you've got budget to promote them and to see it through which will then in turn maybe bring you yeah. that income and that revenue you need to then go make a great album rather than trying to rush an album because even though a lot of bands think they've got 10 or 12 amazing songs in reality there might only be three or four on that album you know and there's only so much we can do to kind of make it a great album um, so maybe suggesting that it's an EP rather than an album to start with generate some income from that EP yeah. and use that to record a decent album with a decent campaign that's probably a good place to kind of um, leave it there for this yeah. episode one of the things that we do have for anyone starting out is we do have a band checklist for people starting out um, which you can get at sessionrecall.com forward slash band checklist it's completely free um, all we ask is like an email address um, if there any, if you have any questions for us please email us at podcast at sessionrecall.com Brian thank you very You're much welcome. and we will see you all again next time see you later bye bye